The January 19th, 1924 edition of Collier's Magazine featured the question on the cover. Perhaps you saw it. What do you think of prohibition? Additionally, okay, additionally, not a good idea. Never mind. I shouldn't have said that out loud. The additionally, there was a brand new short story by Richard Connell entitled The Most Dangerous Game. Have you read the short story? Any short story lovers in here? Most Dangerous Game. Anyone? Anyone? Oh, okay, okay. So it's like, it's this intriguing story, right? It features a big game hunter by the name of Sanger, Sanger Ransford. He's on his way to hunt jaguars in the Amazon. He's on a boat, okay? He's woken in the middle of the night. He goes up to the rail of the boat, is listening, loses his perch, falls into the Mediterranean Sea or the Atlantic Ocean or something like this, right? What he discovers besides a swim is the residence of General Zaroff, his servant and a tropical abode with this very dark reality. Like occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, it relies heavily on plot and invites the question, if there were no limits, if there were no limits, what would you be willing to do for entertainment? It's dark, okay? It is a dark game. It is the most dangerous game that occurs at the nexus of want and ennui and no restraint. It was actually made into a movie in 1932. It has even been remade. And like so many good stories, you actually don't have to read it. Do you think you should have to read a book before you see the movie on which the book is based? I think so too. I think like if there's like, you're like, oh wow, I'm going to go watch Lord of the Rings. No, 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 you're not. You're first going to read the three volume series. At any rate, Esther. Actually, we're going to kind of start not at the beginning of our section today, which would be verse 9, but in verse 11, and then kind of jump around a little bit. And um, at any rate, at the top, Haman recounted to them, okay, he's recounting to his wife and friends and family, all the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotions with which the king had honored him, and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Then Haman said, even Queen Esther, let no one but me come with the king to the feast she prepared. And tomorrow also I am invited by her together with the king. He is at the top. Now we know from chapter 3, verse 1, or verse 1 of chapter 3, that Haman, the Agagite, okay, some of Hamadatha, is, well, literally he's an immigrant, okay? Okay, he is, he's not Persian by descent, okay? He's in his position because of his ability more than he is of his birthright. The king of Persia is there because he is the son of the former king, okay? Monarchy, we know all about that. It's been in the press lately. But Haman, Haman is a cat that's recognizable to us. Now, how did he enter where he is? He's not mentioned early in the book. Did he fill a gap left by the purge after the Vashti fumble fiasco? We don't know. But we do know that he worked his way up. The combination of the right place at the right time. Combination of ability 
and he finds himself in the number two position at the right hand of the king. It's kind of one of those stories that we're like, wow, that's pretty cool. In those stories, it's always amazing to me, okay? It's always amazing to me how often self-made people think they are truly self-made. There's a bit more to it than that, right? My Tanya, my Tanya, Tanya's dad, I don't own her. Lord knows I don't own her. Tanya's dad will say, he made his money the old-fashioned way. He inherited it. I always love that one. <laughs> Take the example, okay? Say you make hammer furs, okay? And in your process of making hammer furs, you made the best hammer fur that has ever been made, and you market the hammer fur, and you put it out to market, and, and it smell, sells, sells wildly, okay? And, and so much so that you have to build another factory in which you are dedicated to building hammer furs over and over and over, and you're expanding and expanding and expanding until you own the hammer fur market, okay? But if the customer isn't willing to buy your product... It doesn't matter how many factories you own, right? It doesn't matter how good you are at making hammer furs. Some of you are like, what's a hammer fur? <laughs> Pound nails with. Groan. Thank you. I appreciate the groan. Thank you. I've had conversations, okay? I've had conversations with friends who are successful. I've had conversations with friends who are amazingly successful. And, and I try to gently remind them, what we do is similar. And I can't make anyone walk through the front door any more than they can. I say this not to, like, degrade the role that a business owner has, but to inspire a bit of modesty that really any of us are dependent upon others that are around us. And please understand, my small business credentials are above reproach. I am the product of a father who moved to a small town with an eighth grade education and owned two businesses, retired at 57, and has a business that celebrates its 60th year in the family this year. I'll put that up against anyone in the room. And yet I know he didn't do it by himself. At any rate, Haman is on top and really believes he's earned it. He deserves it. Remember how his name sounds? Remember? Like the Hebrew word for confusion? So when Mordecai crosses swords, so to speak, that simply will not do. He's at the top and it's not enough. Verse 9. And Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. He's just had this meal with Esther and the king. The only one, right? The only one invited into this place. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. 
Verse 13, check it out. Yet all this, okay, all of this, the the riches that he has, verse 13, all of this is worth nothing to me so long as I see Mordecai the Jew. And I mean, he would have spit it out, right? I mean, it would have just been Mordecai the Jew, you know? Maybe a couple of curse words along with it, right? Yet all of this is worth nothing to me so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Roger Federer retired this last week. Tom Brady did not. (laughs) When is enough enough? When is enough enough? And what little I know, okay, how is it so hard for you to not listen to your spouse? Although I get it, right? Because we got invited to Duluth on Friday night to have supper, and we're on our way back, okay? And we hit McGregor, and I'm just like, I'm so tired, you know? Tanya's like, well, why don't you let me drive? I'm like, I'm so tired. Why don't you let me drive? I'm so tired, you know? And then, you know, we have this vehicle that kind of has lane assist, so you can actually kind of sit back like this. Stupid thing to do when you're tired, right? She's like, please, let me drive. Man, is it hard to listen, Right? especially to our spouse. Tom, if you're with me this morning, retire. (laughs) Retire. Better for your family. I don't think Tom Brady tunes in. (laughs) For Haman, it's not enough. It's not enough. He's got everything. It's not enough. One guy's opinion, one guy's action, one guy's lack of respect. Maybe that shouldn't be such a big deal. And please understand, this is not a polemic against working hard and enjoying things, and having things, etc., etc., etc. But maybe it is this. What if striving for things that are not eternal was not so important to us? This last week, it was announced, Yvonne Chouinard and his wife, uh, Melinda, um, are, uh, gave away their company. Moved everything into a trust. And they moved it into a trust in such a way so that they retained um, maximum control, okay, over where the dollars could be spent. If they put it in a charitable trust, um, they could have gotten like a billion dollar tax credit. But because they put it in a different kind of trust, they get no tax credit and they want to make sure that their interests, okay, after they die can move forward. And their kids have wanted this too because their kids, Fletcher and Claire, don't know, don't want to run Patagonia Yvonne Chouinard said, I don't know what to do with the company because I didn't ever want a company. Yvonne Chouinard uh, uh, most famously took out, well, maybe not most famously, but took out an ad in the New York Times that said, please don't buy this coat. 
He's a cat that grew up, okay, 60s, 70s in Yosemite, and, and he would eat, okay, damaged cans of cat food that he could buy for five cents so that he could spend more time on climbing. He eventually started a company that went bankrupt because of lawsuits that became Black Diamond and then started Patagonia, and it's grown into this $3 billion company, $100 million a year in revenue, and yet he still drives a beat-up Subaru, doesn't have a cell phone or a computer, although he does have two homes. Gave it all away. Gave it all away. Didn't do it for the tax credit. In fact, the way he did it, he had to pay $17.5 million to do the transfer. Gave it all away. Maybe you don't like Yvonne Chouinard. I started reading The Desert Fathers, which was influenced by a book that I read uh, about, uh, by Henry Nouwen. This individual by the name, the, the biggest of the Desert Fathers, Anthony the Great, he was called the father of the monks, was born in central Egypt about 251, which is older than the Collier's article. He was the son of peasant farmers who were Christian, in 269, he's sitting in church, here's the gospel, here's these words, go sell all that you have, give to the poor, and come. And so he devoted himself, got rid of everything. An aesthetic life after that, in 285, he goes out into the deserts, and he becomes known as Abba, Father Anthony, the greatest, so says this book, of all the desert fathers. Someone asked Abba Anthony, what must one do in order to please God? The old man replied, pay attention to what I tell you. Wherever you may be, always have God before your eyes. Whatever you do, do it according to the testimony of the Holy Scriptures. In whatever place you live, do not easily leave it. Keep these precepts, and you will be saved. Now, this cat is 1,800 years closer to Jesus Christ than I am. He was asked, again, what ought I to do by Father Pamblo? The old man said this, Do not trust in your own righteousness. Do not worry about the past. Control your tongue and your stomach. So somewhere between these guys and Yvonne Chouinard, we might ask the question, when is enough enough? Our time concludes with verses 10 and 14. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself. Okay, so he sees Mordecai at the gate, had this amazing meal with Esther, Sees Mordecai at the gate. Mordecai won't even give him the time of day. Won't even look at his sundial. Thank you. <laughs> Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. And he sent and brought his friends and his wife, Zeresh. Verse 14, hearing all of this, his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, Let a gallows... Fifty cubits high be married, made. 
Now, the argument is it's probably not a gallows. It's probably just a sharp spike, okay? And some of the biblical commentators say, well, 50 cubits high, that's, that's obvious an exaggeration, okay? Because that, be, well, that would be close to 100 feet tall, 75 feet tall. Why in the world would you make a spike that big, that tall? You couldn't even see the body on the end of it. And how in the world would you even get it up in the place to begin with? You got to remember, all of that I kind of throw out the window because these people made like pyramids and ziggurats and all this kind of stuff. I'm pretty sure they can put a 50 cubic spike up in the air. And it probably was a spike, not a gallows. Probably what was, would happen is the person would be executed, okay, and put on the spike, a sharpened spike, whoop, or the form of execution would be to be set on the spike live, think about that one, hoisted into place so that everyone could see who the knucklehead was that violated whatever command had been given. Intriguing, right? Because Haman's people, his friends, his wife, they gather around him. Esther's people gather around her Look at the difference between the two different groups of people. Haman's people gather around him. They encourage him to revenge, to death. Esther's people gather around her. They encourage sacrifice. I mean, Haman really, really, really the worst of human behavior, right? Haman slash confusion is basically saying, I am something so irrational that you should die. And I know it would be easy to say, slow down, John. I haven't murdered anyone or even conspired to murder. Fair enough. And perhaps I would be willing to slow down if, but for the fact of Jesus Christ. Who comes along a few hundred years later and says, murder is bad, (laughs) but anger is just as bad. Imagine being Haman, right? How hard would it have been to just be quiet? For Haman, it's impossible to not get his way. Restraint? Some sense of caution? Some sense of just, just maybe I should sit down? How can we practice restraint? When when do we stop striving to be something big? How do we think of ourselves? And please understand, I'm not against success. 
I am, I am my parents' son. And, and in some ways, look at what we enjoy together. I mean, how, how could we not say that what is represented in this room is not successful? If we want to pat ourselves on the back, it's here. Pat yourself on the back. Good job, fourth child out of five. The one that everyone else thought would screw up. That's true, actually. <laughs> I've told you before, my mom told me that she prayed harder for me than she did for her other four children. <laughs> if we wanted to put ourselves on some sort of pedestal, we could. And again, I'm not saying don't work hard. No, work hard. I'm not saying don't be successful. No, if God has granted you the ability to make gobs and stacks of cash, do it. But do it with a sense of restraint, right? In my, in my own life, because I can speak most accurately about that, not projecting on anyone else. In my own life, this isn't our church. This isn't even my church. It belongs to Jesus. It's his church. It's your church. It's your people. It's your family. It's yours. It's yours. All, all, everything that I think I have comes from you. It's yours. And when I think about the totality of my short life so far, I think you have given me a gift that I could not have possibly created myself. And I think that can be true for any of us. Without God's work in our life, where would we be? Abba Anthony said, Father Anthony said, I saw the snares that the enemy spreads out all over the world. And I said, what can get me through from such snares? Then I heard a voice saying to me, humility. Please pray with me. Father, challenge us by your word. Enable us to see clearly that what we have is a gift from you that all that we have that is good is a gift from you. 
Allow us to live, O great God, with a sense of restraint, a sense of modesty, a sense of humility. Hear our hearts. See our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand.